Sights from a Steeple From Twice Told Tales by Nathaniel Hawthorne This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Neufeld So I have climbed high, and my reward is small. Here I stand with wearied knees, earth indeed at a dizzy depth below, but heaven far, far beyond me still. Oh, that I could soar up into the very zenith, where man never breathed nor eagle ever flew, and where the ethereal azure melts away from the eye and appears only a deepened shade of nothingness. And yet I shiver at that cold and solitary thought. What clouds are gathering in the golden west with direful intent against the brightness and the warmth of this summer afternoon? They are ponderous airships, black as death and freighted with the tempest, and at intervals their thunder, the signal guns of that unearthly squadron, rolls distant along the deep of heaven. These nearer heaps of fleecy vapour, methinks I could roll and toss upon them the whole day long, seem scattered here and there for the repose of tired pilgrims through the sky. Perhaps, for who can tell, beautiful spirits are disporting themselves there, and will bless my mortal eye with the brief appearance of their curly locks of golden light and laughing faces fair, and faint as the people of a rosy dream. Or where the floating mass so imperfectly obstructs the colour of the firmament, a slender foot and fairy limb resting too heavily upon the frail support might be thrust through and suddenly withdrawn, while longing fancy follows them in vain. Yonder again is an airy archipelago where the sunbeams love to linger in their journeyings through space. Every one of those little clouds has been dipped and steeped in radiance which the slightest pressure might disengage in silvery profusion like water wrung from a sea-maid's hair. Bright they are as a young man's visions, and like them would be realized in dullness, obscurity, and tears. I will look on them no more. In three parts of the visible circle whose centre is this spire, I discern cultivated fields, villages, white country seats, the waving lines of rivulets, little placid lakes, and here and there a rising ground that would fain be termed a hill. On the fourth side is the sea, stretching away toward a viewless boundary, blue and calm except where the passing anger of a shadow flits across its surface and is gone. Hitherward a broad inlet penetrates far into the land. On the verge of the harbour formed by its extremity is a town, and over it am I, a watchman, all heeding and unheeded. Oh, that the multitude of chimneys could speak, like those of Madrid, and betray in smoky whispers the secrets of all who, since their first foundation, have assembled at the hearths within. Oh, that the limping devil of La Sage would perch beside me here, extend his wand over this contiguity of roofs, uncover every chamber, and make me familiar with their inhabitants. The most desirable mode of existence might be that of a spiritualized Paul Pry, hovering invisible round man and woman, witnessing their deeds, searching into their hearts, borrowing brightness from their felicity, and shade from their sorrow and retaining no emotion peculiar to himself. But none of these things are possible. 
and if i would know the interior of brick walls or the mystery of human bosoms i can but guess yonder is a fair street extending north and south the stately mansions are placed each on its carpet of verdant grass and a long flight of steps descends from every door to the pavement ornamental trees the broad-leafed horse chestnut the elm so lofty and bending the graceful but infrequent willow and others whereof i know not the names grow thrivingly among brick and stone the oblique rays of the sun are intercepted by these green citizens and by the houses so that one side of the street is a shaded and pleasant walk on its whole extent there is now but a single passenger advancing from the upper end and he unless distance and the medium of a pocket spy-glass do him more than justice is a fine young man of twenty he saunters slowly forward slapping his left hand with his folded gloves bending his eyes upon the pavement and sometimes raising them to throw a glance before him certainly he has a pensive air is he in doubt or in debt is he if the question be allowable in love does he strive to be melancholy and gentlemanlike or is he merely overcome by the heat but i bid him farewell for the present the door of one of the houses an aristocratic edifice with curtains of purple and gold waving from the windows is now opened and down the steps come two ladies swinging their parasols and lightly arrayed for a summer ramble both are young both are pretty but methinks the left-hand lass is the fairer of the twain and though she be so serious at this moment i could swear that there is a treasure of gentle fun within her they stand talking a little while upon the steps and finally proceed up the street meantime as their faces are now turned from me i may look elsewhere upon that wharf and down the corresponding street is a busy contrast of the quiet scene which i have just noticed business evidently has its centre there and many a man is wasting the summer afternoon in labour and anxiety in losing riches or in gaining them when he would be wiser to flee away to some distant country village or shaded lake in the forest or wild and cool sea beach i see vessels unlading at the wharf and precious merchandise strewn upon the ground abundantly as at the bottom of the sea that market whence no goods return and where there is no captain nor supercargo to render an account of sales here the clerks are diligent with their paper and pencils and sailors ply the block and tackle that hang over the hold accompanying their toil with cries long drawn and roughly melodious till the bales and puncheons ascend to upper air at a little distance a group of gentlemen are assembled round the door of a warehouse grave seniors be they and i would wager if it were safe in these times to be responsible for any one that the least eminent among them might vie with old vincentio that incomparable trafficker of pisa i can even select the wealthiest of the company it is the elderly personage in somewhat rusty black with powdered hair the superfluous whiteness of which is visible upon the cape of his coat his twenty ships are wafted on some of their many courses by every breeze that blows and his name i will venture to say though i know it not 
is a familiar sound among the far-separated merchants of Europe and the Indies. But I bestow too much of my attention in this quarter. On looking again to the long and shady walk, I perceive that the two fair girls have encountered the young man. After a sort of shyness in the recognition, he turns back with them. Moreover, he has sanctioned my taste in regard to his companions by placing himself on the inner side of the pavement, nearest the Venus to whom I, enacting on a steeple-top the part of Paris on the top of Ida, adjudged the golden apple. In two streets converging at right angles toward my watchtower, I distinguish three different processions. One is a proud array of voluntary soldiers in bright uniform, resembling, from the height whence I look down, the painted veterans that garrison the windows of a toy-shop. And yet it stirs my heart. Their regular advance, their nodding plumes, the sun-flash on their bayonets and musket-barrels, the roll of their drums ascending past me, and the fife ever and anon piercing through, these things have wakened a warlike fire, peaceful though I be. Close to that rear marches a battalion of schoolboys, ranged in crooked and irregular platoons, shouldering sticks, thumping a harsh and unripe clatter from an instrument of tin, and ridiculously aping the intricate manoeuvres of the foremost band. Nevertheless, as slight differences are scarcely perceptible from a church spire, one might be tempted to ask which are the boys, or rather, which the men. But leaving these, let us turn to the third procession, which, though sadder in outward show, may excite identical reflections in the thoughtful mind. It is a funeral. A hearse drawn by a black and bony steed and covered by a dusty pall, two or three coaches rumbling over the stones, the drivers half asleep, a dozen couple of careless mourners in their everyday attire. Such was not the fashion of our fathers when they carried a friend to his grave. There is now no doleful clang of the bell to proclaim sorrow to the town. Was the king of terrors more awful in those days than in our own, that wisdom and philosophy have been able to produce this change? Not so. Here is a proof that he retains his proper majesty. The military men and the military boys are wheeling round the corner, and meet the funeral full in the face. Immediately the drum is silent, all but the tap that regulates each simultaneous footfall. The soldiers yield the path to the dusty hearse and unpretending train, and the children quit their ranks and cluster on the sidewalks with timorous and instinctive curiosity. The mourners enter the churchyard at the base of the steeple, and pause by an open grave among the burial stones. The lightning glimmers on them as they lower down the coffin, and the thunder rattles heavily while they throw the earth upon its lid. Verily the shower is near, and I tremble for the young man and the girls, who have now disappeared from the long and shady street. How various are the situations of the people covered by the roofs beneath me, and how diversified are the events at this moment befalling them! The new-born, the aged, the dying, the strong in life, and the recent dead are in the chambers of these many mansions. The full of hope, the happy, the miserable, and the desperate dwell together within the circle of my glance. 
in some of the houses over which my eyes roam so coldly guilt is entering into hearts that are still tenanted by a debased and trodden virtue guilt is on the very edge of commission and the impending deed might be averted guilt is done and the criminal wonders if it be irrevocable there are broad thoughts struggling in my mind and were i able to give them distinctness they would make their way in eloquence lo the raindrops are descending the clouds within a little time have gathered over all the sky hanging heavily as if about to drop in one unbroken mass upon the earth at intervals the lightning flashes from their brooding hearts quivers disappears and then comes the thunder travelling slowly after its twin-born flame a strong wind has sprung up howls through the darkened streets and raises the dust in dense bodies to rebel against the approaching storm the disbanded soldiers fly the funeral has already vanished like its dead and all people hurry homeward all that have a home while a few lounge by the corners or trudge on desperately at their leisure in a narrow lane which communicates with the shady street i discern the rich old merchant putting himself to the top of his speed lest the rain should convert his hair-powder to a paste unhappy gentleman by the slow vehemence and painful moderation wherewith he journeys it is but too evident that Padagra has left its thrilling tenderness in his great toe but yonder at a far more rapid pace come three other of my acquaintances the two pretty girls and the young man unseasonably interrupted in their walk their footsteps are supported by the risen dust the wind lends them its velocity they fly like three sea-birds driven landward by the tempestuous breeze the ladies would not thus rival atalanta if they but knew that any one were at leisure to observe them ah as they hasten onward laughing in the angry face of nature a sudden catastrophe has chanced at the corner where the narrow lane enters into the street they come plump against the old merchant whose tortoise motion has just brought him to that point he likes not the sweet encounter the darkness of the whole air gathers speedily upon his visage and there is a pause on both sides finally he thrusts aside the youth with little courtesy seizes an arm of each of the two girls and plods onward like a magician with a prize of captive fairies all this is easy to be understood how disconsolate the poor lover stands regardless of the rain that threatens an exceeding damage to his well-fashioned habiliments till he catches a backward glance of mirth from a bright eye and turns away with whatever comfort it conveys the old man and his daughters are safely housed and now the storm lets loose its fury in every dwelling i perceive the faces of the chambermaids as they shut down the windows excluding the impetuous shower and shrieking away from the quick fiery glare the large drops descend with force upon the slated roofs and rise again in smoke there is a rush and roar as of a river through the air and muddy streams bubble majestically along the pavement whirl their dusky foam into the kennel and disappear beneath iron gates thus did arethusa sink i love not my station here aloft in the midst of the tumult which i am powerless to direct or quell 
with the blue lightning wrinkling on my brow and the thunder muttering its first awful syllables in my ear i will descend yet let me give another glance to the sea where the foam breaks out in long white lines upon a broad expanse of blackness or boils up in far distant points like snowy mountain-tops in the eddies of a flood and let me look once more at the green plain and little hills of the country over which the giant of the storm is striding in robes of mist and at the town whose obscured and desolate streets might beseem a city of the dead and turning a single moment to the sky now gloomy as an author's prospects i prepare to resume my station on lower earth but stay a little speck of azure has widened in the western heavens the sunbeams find a passage and go rejoicing through the tempest and on yonder darkest cloud born like hallowed hopes of the glory of another world and the trouble and tears of this brightens forth the rainbow End of Sight from a Steeple